Macro Podcast number 393 for February 5th, 2014. Brought to you by my friends at lynda.com and the fine folks at Sherry's Berries. Welcome to another Macro Podcast. I'm Chris Breen. If you were any kind of computer user in the latter years of the 20th century, you played Myst and Riven, beautiful and engaging games created by brothers Robin and Rand Miller that sold millions and millions of copies. But where are they now? In the next hour, you'll learn that brother Robin has turned his talents to filmmaking. We'll talk old days and new right about now. I'm joined by Robin Miller, part of the sibling team that produced the legendary Myst and Riven computer games. Robin has since gone on to create a new film called The Immortal Augustus Gladstone. Thanks for being here, Robin. Good to be here. It's possible that one or two of our listeners are unfamiliar with your and your brother's work at Cyan creating Myst and Riven. So can you fill in a bit of the background there? Sure, yeah. We uh, got in, I think, to the whole Macintosh world early on. And we did a number of children's games before we did Myst. And I think no, most people don't know that we did those. Um, and they were sort of these exploratory worlds, uh, like Myst, except there were no puzzles. There was not much of a story. Um, and um, there were just worlds for, for children to just sort of wander around in. And we did a number of those. And before we uh, did the Myst game, and it was the Miss game that got a wider attention. And that's what most people know us for. Um, so um, that's, that's kind of uh, was our claim to fame. <laughs> right. Well, it was a pretty significant one as well. I mean, um, you guys kind of became one of the first sort of rock star teams of gaming. Um, you know, where... I, because I'd been following your career for a long time, so I knew about the manhole and the other things you'd done, and The Mist came out, and I reviewed it for Computer Gaming World, and Mac World gave you a, an award for this thing. But suddenly, you and Rand are in Gap commercials. You were talking about a Mist movie. There was the book. There were sequels, of course. So what was that like, kind of going from creative game guy to, like, this this level of celebrity? Yeah, well, that was it was bizarre because, you know, before Mist, um, right before Mist, we were making a very small uh, product um, and it was our smallest ever because we were running out of money. We were, we kind of had resigned ourselves to the fact that we weren't going to be making games anymore yeah. um, and we were going to have to go out and get real jobs. And <laughs> um, so we had a rare opportunity to make Missed. A company came to us. It was actually a Japanese company. Um, and um, they said, well, we would like you to do sort of this exploratory world that you're doing, uh, these children's types of things, but for adults. And we had actually been planning on doing something like that. We wanted to do something like that. That was our dream come true. And um, it was a rare opportunity. We did that. And we thought, well, maybe... We'll make enough money so that we can do another one of these because, um, you know, we love doing it. It was so much fun to do. Um, and it took us about two years, the whole production. But we really, we were just so hoping we would, you know, make, uh, we would be able to do another one. You know, it would be yeah. that popular. And, um, and then it just exploded. 
it 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 just kind of took off in this surreal way um, that was hard for us to believe. We were kind of caught up in this phenomenon, um, and um, it, it just things happened one thing after another. It just became like a like a snowball rolling, um, and it kind of grew at exponential speeds. So uh, yeah, that was. That was, I think, very, very strange for both of us. So what did what kind of expectation did that set up then for the sequel? I mean, you knew, okay, we've got to, do, we've got to follow this up. And Riven was conceived, or I don't know if you'd conceived that originally. And then what sort of pressure does that put on you to like, wow, we just sold 9 million copies of this <laughs> thing. And how are right, we going to exactly. do it? Yeah. No, I think originally, now I, I'll, I'll preface it by saying that we did not have the sequel in mind when we first came up with the idea for Mist. Yeah. But while we were working through Mist and coming up with sort of back history, and um, we 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 realized, oh well, this could really use a sequel. Um, this could really use a continuation of the story. Mm-hmm. So we knew we wanted that. Um, but we. Um, when we went into then the sequel and started working on it, yeah, well, there was all this expectation. And I think what we just had to do creative, creatively is, you know, and this is hard to do. I, I can't pretend like this is easy, but we had to push this, that aside and kind of just, um, focus on the same sorts of things we focused in on mist, which is what do we, what would we like to play? What would, mm-hmm. what kind of world do we enjoy? Um, and would, what kind of world would we want to find ourselves in? And, um, you know, sometimes that was harder to do and sometimes that was easier to do. Um, I think there were certain times when we were, um, there, uh, creating mist. I remember like those initial moments when we were creating mist, it was like, um, it was really like we were discovering the world and it was a very precious uh, experience and a very, um, um, very, I just, I, I can't really describe how amazing it was. It was like we were explorers, really, um, and we were the first people to see this universe. Um, and, and it kind of gave us this hint, like, oh, my God, what are we stumbling on here? This, this might be really cool for people. Yeah. Um, and so I think we wanted to bring that feeling, first of all, to our audience of Mist, who played the players of Mist. But then when we were creating Riven, that was also that sensation, which is a powerful sensation. We, we really wanted, despite the, the expectation, we wanted to bring that, that um, sense of exploration as creators. We wanted to maintain that. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're creating this world, Riven, and we're exploring it as well as we create. So was there a point where you complete Riven and you think, okay, are we just going to keep doing this world or is it time to put an end to this thing <laughs> and um, <clears throat> and do something else? You know, because by this time, you know, you're, I imagine, financially comfortable enough to think, okay, we have other options. We could continue to do this, but... I know that, you know, not only are you an artist, but a musician as well, and a writer, and and, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. as we're going to talk about later, a filmmaker, that did you ever begin to feel boxed in by this world? 
Yeah, well, that's a kind of a tricky question. Um, okay. No, I'm, I'm happy to answer it. Um, the answer is yes. Um, I had always conceived of the world, the story ending uh, with Riven, and I think it, it, Rand felt that the story should go on past Riven. And so, you know, I think that's a perfect, valid a creative difference um, is, you know, to when two people start something and then it becomes this sort of larger chronicle, then what do you do when you have these two creators who want to do different things with the this this realm? And and mm-hmm. and also what do you do when you have an audience and they're uh, they want to see it go in, in different directions and, and it's it becomes something larger than yourself in a way. Right. Um and um, it really is kind of in a, in, in a way um, given over to the audience. It's it's strange for me now to look at at where Mist has gone, because yeah. I feel almost small <laughs> in comparison to it. I look at it and it's it's like gone off and it's become all these things. It's branched out in all these different directions, and in one way I'm kind of I kind of uh, feel like okay I gave birth to this thing and. And I'm going to be perfectly honest. In some of these directions, it's gone off. I, I'm disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like, well, that's that's not the aesthetic. Maybe um, right. that's not. You know, there was we set sort of a direction for it with this initial, you know, um, look and feel or whatever it was, and and I don't agree with that aesthetic. Um, um, but in, an, in, in I, I I tell myself, I have to almost correct myself because there's a whole. Um, fandom um a whole group of people out there that loves those directions and so who am i to say that you know that it shouldn't be this or this um because mist really has become something larger <laughs> you know what i mean it's become no, something I totally, I mean, yeah I can... it's become something larger than um than rand or i it's become this world and that to me is like really uh fascinating and wonderful, and I'm really thankful to have been a part of this. It's it's like I, I kind of like it's like giving this thing a kick. It's like giving it's like uh, giving birth to a child, and then at some point the child uh, says, "Okay, I'm by. I'm going off and, <laughs> yeah, and uh, right. <laughs> you know, I'm going to do my thing now." And you have to say, "Okay, that's okay." Uh, yeah, so. <laughs> but I can see from a, from being the creator. I mean, you know, imagine going back to the Beatles back in the day and saying, "Okay, do Sgt. Pepper again." <laughs> and again and again and again and it's like well you know we kind of we've done that and now right, we right. want to do go in a different direction right right yeah for myself i think riven was the um riven was the the, the final chapter for me and i yeah. i didn't want to continue on with it that was you know and there's something to be said for um kind of creative exhaustion mm-hmm. of with the same you know living in that same world um and within that same story with those same characters and um, you want to then take it to a different place or, or you, I mean, you want to take yourself to a different place and sure. start with a blank slate. And, and, and after Riven, I was really feeling, feeling that yeah. way. Um, let's talk a little bit about the technical things you were doing at the time. So what kind of tools did you have when you were working through these two games? Uh, well, with Myst, um, you know, um, I I've, I like saying this because I I think if people haven't heard it, it's it's just interesting. We were using tools that were many times uh, less powerful than you know an iPhone, and yeah. um, it's 
but at the time they were, you know, I think a Quadra 700 and we would brag about how powerful they were, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but it, it would take us to like, for example, to model something like Mist Island, we could work in wireframe, a mode, and it was very, very slow just to move the models. Um, and this was Chuck Carter and I, we were both the artists on the project. We would, uh, to move a model, you would move the model of something and wait while it re redrew. Um, we could never set up lights or s set up the models or look at the models rendered in real time. That was just was not possible. Um, and, and then we would set things to render and, um, and it would, and we'd have to wait hours to see what things looked like that we had built. And that was a, it was a frustrating experience, but also a magical experience because we, we would then be like, look, we would be looking into this world. Um, and we would be the very first people to look into this world. And, um, and so those were, you know, these Macintoshes that at the time were the most powerful Macs. Um, on when we did Riven, we were using workstations. Um, and we were not using uh, Macintoshes. I don't know if that was a good idea. Because suddenly the, the user interface on those computers was tough. And, um, and that was the only project it was everything else piecing together all of the stuff and, and was all on Macs and, but then um, building the worlds the graphics was not um, just because um, the programs that we were using at that point in time soft homage specifically didn't exist on Macs we kind of took that step ahead um, of course like a year or two after we finished Riven, all of those softwares migrated to the Macintosh. Hmm. Yeah. Timing, timing, timing. <laughs> right. <laughs> we'll be back with Robin Miller after this word from lynda.com. You know, I'm in the enviable position of being a lynda.com author. And so, having seen the company's work from inside and out, I can enthusiastically endorse the things that it does. Like what? Well, it has a catalog of over 2,000 high-quality and engaging video courses with new content added daily. Courses have a wide breadth from material appropriate for beginners on up to pros. It's easy to find what you need, and if you need to brush up on particular creative software or business skills, there's a very good chance you're going to find the courses you desire. Mac users will be particularly interested in Final Cut Pro 10 Essential Training, iMovie 11 Essential Training, iOS 7 iPhone and iPad Essential Training, Mavericks Essential Training, and my very own iPad Tips and Tricks and Mavericks New Features. What else? You name it. Excel, Photoshop, PowerPoint, marketing fundamentals, management tips, videography, audio recording, web development, app development, time management, and so much more. Plus, you can watch from your computer, tablet, or other mobile device. Being on the inside, I can testify without fear of contradiction that lynda.com gets it. They care passionately about the content and quality of their courses. The video looks and sounds great. It's been eyeballed six ways to Sunday to make sure that it's exactly the kind of content you need for your work or for your play. And personally, I've been spending a fair amount of time watching Ben Long's photography courses, as well as delving into the details of Logic Pro 10. Both have helped me enormously. Really, 
Lynda.com's work is outstanding, but you can see for yourself. Visit lynda.com slash Macworld, and that's L-Y-N-D-A dot com forward slash Macworld, and sign up for a free seven-day trial that grants you access to its entire library. If you can manage to go without sleep for those 168 hours, you can come out the other end a Photoshop, Final Cut Pro, iOS, or OS X expert. Again, that's lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash Macworld to start your free trial. Do it. Really. And now back to Robin Miller. So let's turn to today. You've recently finished your first full-length movie, The Immortal Augustus Gladstone, and I watched it the other day, and I really thought it was delightful. Oh, um, thanks. Thank just you. really superb job. Um, I don't want to spoil the story for anyone, but I'm more than happy for you to spoil it for them. Um, <laughs> okay. So uh, what can you tell us about the, the film without people, you know, saying, oh, well, now I don't have to see it. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's about a guy and he believes he's, um, his name is Augustus Gladstone, uh, as the title implies, and he believes he's over 150 years old. And it's sort of a uh, faux documentary. Um and um, this film crew, um, we, the film crew, follow Augustus around, and uh, he lives in sort of a bombed-out old vacant hotel. He's fixed up one little corner, one little room of this hotel, and, um, and, and then we just sort of, the documentary crew moves in and, 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 and begins to follow him around. And, and, and this... The, the, the film crew moving into his space sort of provokes a series of events and um, and things kind of take off from there. He's got a lot of stories he tells. You know, this is a guy who believes he's 150 years old. And, you know, um, and this film crew or this documentary crew kind of takes him at face value and um, and things kind of kind of go off, take off from there. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So how long had the story <laughs> been brewing, and what compelled you to tell that particular story? Well, um, you know, it's, it was a funny uh, beginning to how it, uh, a funny start to how it began. I, I actually, we had it in town here in Spokane, Washington. There's this uh, short film festival. So I think it's like a 70-hour film festival. And um, so a friend and I were going to like enter this film festival and, and we didn't get a lot of information about it. We just thought, let's do it. And we started um, writing down some ideas, recording some ideas. And we got out of video camera. We started uh, recording a little bit of this character with some of the basic concepts. And we got through a bit of it and we decided to check the... Um, to, you know, to see when we had to turn the the the, the information in, or the, turn the 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 video in, and we realized, you know, at that point, oh, okay, it was last week, you <laughs> know, so we were like a week <laughs> off, and uh, so that's kind of that was the inception of the idea, and um, uh, but I, I started playing more with this this character uh, that 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 started there and started in that that you know twenty four hour uh, film. Um, contest twenty four seventy two I don't remember and um and I really uh, kind of almost fell in love with this idea um and decided it warranted a feature film and and I wanted to keep the 
the film very small, very low budget, um, and something that was very spontaneous because it, it um, that documentary sensibility it, that that we were trying for in that in that just that low budget you know film felt interesting to me, mm-hmm. and to do that in a feature film seemed intriguing. And so that's what we did. That's the direction we went with. So I know you had a lot of talented people involved um, in the making of the movie, but you wore a lot of hats. So you wrote, directed, uh, had something to do with the scoring, I think. And you starred in the film, which was surprising to me because you look so different than I remembered you. And it really wasn't until I got to the end and went on the website, went, oh, oh, that was Robin. Oh, So... What were the factors that went into that? I mean, clearly budget was maybe part of it, but, but vision, control, what what made you take on so many jobs? Hmm. Uh, you know, I I think Rand and I, when we did Myst um, and all of our, our previous games, we always had a habit of um, just seeing what we could do and quickly and, and, you know, just just trying to, you know, do what we could do is like all of those games uh, grew out of this, um, grew out of this, well, first of all, taking the tools that were at hand. Um, and there's a lot of tools at hand when you have a, a Mac in front of you. And, uh, and then just uh, jumping in and seeing what you can accomplish. And... Um, and I, I, I really liken this project, not in its story at all, but in uh, the way I went about creating it to Mist, because it was created by a very small team of people and because everybody on the team wore a lot of hats. Mm-hmm. I mean, during production, we, you know, the sound crew was, was also doing other things. You know, everybody uh, was, was kind of wore a lot of hats just like I was. Um, and, um, um, yeah, I, I think th- there was, you know, out of necessity almost, I, I did end up doing a lot of different things. Um, I maybe didn't realize just how hard it would be to do things like, um, act in it and direct it. Um, that was, surpri- that was surprising. Um, but, um, but yeah, it was still very, very fun and, um, and like you say, it, it did keep the budget down. <laughs> so, so yeah, um, no, I guess there's nothing more to add to that. <laughs> so what was the most difficult thing you did? Oh, was, oh, the, was it the acting? It was the acting. Yeah. No question about it. You know, um, the acting was, um, I, I think the acting might've been a little bit easier if I had not been, you know, directing at the same time, but um, still, uh, the acting was just, um, you know, I, I have, I've already had an appreciation for actors. Now my appreciation for actors is like, has just gone up, you know, a tenfold. Um, you know, this was just, it was a lot of work. Um, and I probably will never do it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might consider it. I thought you were very, very good. Yeah. Well, thank you. At, thank you very yeah, much. The, yeah. But at the same time, one, and again, I don't want to give away the story, but you've burdened yourself with with some makeup and um, had to be a little uncomfortable in, in 
at least around your head. And, um, well, and I, also- I don't think the crew ever know, knew what I really looked like. Uh, cause from day one, I came in looking like Augustus. So, you know, I'm trying to give it, I'm trying to give direction looking like this guy. And, um, so do that- you find them averting their gaze every <laughs> once in a while going, I just can't look at this exactly, guy. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun in that respect. But yeah, it was, it was, um, also, um, uh, different (laughs) well yeah and also you gave yourself a dialect and this character is very innocent in a lot of ways and you have to push that out to the audience and kind of come across childlike in some cases and and you know somebody with a, a few issues which seems like a monumental task you know for any actor but and here you are doing all these other things and you know sort of like well i'm gonna i'm gonna take a shot at acting and oh look what i've look what i've set for myself yeah, well, no, you're you're right. It was, um, you know, it was especially hard to be in that that frame of mind, and you know, um, I think there was a lot of physical things I was doing as well. Um, you know, just kind of mannerisms and mannerisms with my face, and um, you know, and I would be in that. I would be in that frame of mind, and and sometimes there was like an emotional state of mind as well, and um, and then suddenly, okay, we, that takes over. I've got to give direction. I'm out of that now. I'm I, I'm in this other place. I'm I'm a different being. And then okay, next take. And you know that was that was a little tough for me. Um, I don't do that on a um, um, even on a any. Uh, I I'm not I'm not normally doing that. <laughs> so you don't normally walk that way. You're, no, you're telling me that you. Well, I, I'm not an actor. I'm, I don't usually act, and so it was a, it was a wonderful challenge for me, and I really, really had a fun time doing it, and um, it was it was a, a blast I, for me. Um, um, so the whole film was a blast, and we had great people on the uh, the crew, and I think everybody enjoyed the way we did it. Because it was, um, there was a lot of spontaneity involved, not just in the acting where there was no um, screenplay. Um, we had a, um, a, an outline, a very specific kind of long outline that, you know, told what would happen. It, it specified what would happen in each scene. Um, and so we all knew where we would start, where we would kind of what we needed to get done in each scene and where it would end. Um, but it didn't specify exact dialogue. Hmm. So um, that's how everything, you know, and, and, and that needed to, it needed to be that way in order to feel like a documentary, in order to feel real. Um, so that's how things were written. But the whole, um, everything else was sort of um, created in that way as well. You know, for example, um, a ca- cameras were not, did not have specific direction. Um, Actors didn't land on marks. Um, cameras followed, you know, we, our, our cameraman just sort of followed the actors around, just like a real documentary. Mm-hmm. Everything was set up like a real documentary. So it was, it was, there was a much looser um, organization to the entire film, um, which was great. I think everyone just it really enjoyed that sort of creativity that they had, um, which, you, which you kind of see in the result of the, the, the film. Yeah, and also the so the crew that's that's on camera is the real crew. 
they're the real crew. I yeah, I didn't even mention that. You know, yeah, it's because like, there are a couple of times they have to act as well and yeah. <laughs> and are getting very much involved with your character. Right. And and so they too, they as you say, they too are wearing hats. They well they absolutely and and, and sort of they all got, you know, to the 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 um they got to the project and then they they realized, okay, well, you know, by the way, everyone, you're going to be on camera. You're going to, you know, this is going to be the uh you're going to be acting in this thing. But you know, it was very natural I think for them because they they really <laughs> didn't feel necessarily like they were acting. Um, it, it really did feel like all of that stuff was happening. And they felt like they knew Augustus. By the, by the time the cameras kind of turned around on them, um, they felt like Augustus was real. Uh, they had mm-hmm. seen enough of him um, that they kind of felt like, oh, okay, this is a real guy that we have this relationship with this guy. Um, and some of those things they said... Um, some of those, they really felt some of those things. Um, so it was, it was weird. There was this weird, um, uh, line between reality and fiction that started to kind of happen on set. Um, mm-hmm. so, and did you s- shoot it sequentially? Yeah, we, we tried to shoot it as sequentially as possible, you know, so that, so that the sensibility, um, there with everyone involved would, would feel real. Right. Yeah, because about halfway through the film, the it, the pace kind of accelerates. And I could see if you were shooting it sequentially, that when the crew gets more involved, it it makes more sense. Right. That, that those reactions are, are quite real. Right. Right. Yeah. So uh, back to the technical, um, because we occasionally talk about that here. <laughs> um, are you using Apple technology still? I am like I'm totally um using Mac uh, I'm use Mac for everything on this. Um so, you know, I we used it during pre-production, during production, you know, every day when we would uh, you know, after we shot, um we would take all of our footage and load it onto Macs. Um everybody on the the film used Macs and uh and then for post-production um as well. Um it was all edited. I edited the whole thing on Max and and did all composed all the music on Max. Uh, so <laughs> it's a Max shop. It's a Max shop. So and, yeah. and what did you use for editing and and music? Um, I used uh, Final Cut Pro for mm-hmm. editing and Logic, uh, which yeah. are both really great programs. I think the only person who did not use a Mac was Augustus, who. <laughs> That's right. As a matter of fact, I noticed that. Right. I said, hey, Robin, dude, what's happening? But, you know, I don't think he could have afforded one. I think, yeah, I think he's... He's kind of, yeah, that would, that's, um, wouldn't have fit his character somehow. It, well, and, and it went with the surroundings. Right, that, um, right. You know, as kind of like in Mist and Ribbon, there were, you have these certain beautiful and delicate little set pieces where it's, you you just kind of scan different little spots in his house or around where he is um, that reminded actually quite a bit of, of mist and little shots like, Oh yeah, there's one of those little jewels. Um, but also the, like the way his, his laptop was set up. I was like, yep, that fits that character. He hmm. wouldn't, it wouldn't have been right to give that guy a MacBook air. Exactly. Exactly. Right. 
Yeah. So um, what technological advances have been made that make it possible for you to create a movie of this quality without backing from a major studio? Oh, well, I mean, first of all, the cameras we used, um, you know, we used these, uh, the whole thing was shot with um, small Canon cameras, uh, you know, SLR cameras, mm-hmm. um, Mark II cameras if people for people who you know are familiar and we did that we made that decision we could have shot it with bigger cameras but there's the expense Mm -hmm. and we wanted to keep for much of the time we wanted to keep at least two cameras rolling um and we wanted to get it into some places where we we did not seem we did did not remain suspicious like we we shot in airports we shot in um uh in airplanes we shot in taxi cabs we shot lot in a lot of the footage that you don't see uh in the film we shot in uh, you know donut shops and we wanted to kind of keep um a foot uh, a, a um uh, just sort of you know kind of stay under the radar and those cameras really allowed us to do that um but they but the footage is beautiful especially when combined with the right lenses and so yeah. um so that's a, a technological um uh leap I consider it um, from a few years ago that really allowed this film to look beautiful, yeah. um, but also just the the editing software has has uh, moved forward so much since you know a number of years ago, and 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 we can edit very very quickly and do special effects very very quickly, um, and it, you know and we're just scrubbing through the movie real time. Um, there's there's just not any pause now and and i edited this movie with a mac that was like four years old and Mm. so um it's that part of it is phenomenal to me um but one of the things probably that you wouldn't really get to really appreciate it is the music you know there's some of this music that is um it's orchestral you know you hear an entire orchestra playing Mm -hmm. and it's all just electronic and, you know, I, I don't know if that's, I, I think there's probably purists out there that wouldn't agree with that. Um, but I've been, <laughs> I've been using a Mac since 1984 and I've gotten over that. I'm, I, <laughs> um, and, um, so I just, the, the tools for music are kind of, they continually just blow me away and they just are exponentially getting better and better i mean the like the the piano tools that i u- that i use there's piano tools that are algorithmic they're algorithmic replica replications of pianos and i am a pianist that's my instrument mm-hmm. i cannot tell the difference between a real piano recorded and the pianos that i record with these tools so um I mean, I, those, that's the kind of music tools that I was able to use. Um, right. So, um, so, yeah, I probably should have gone out and, you know, hired entire orchestras, but we couldn't, <laughs> we couldn't afford it. <laughs> so are you using all the samples built into Logic, or did you add some other, uh, and, other instrument we, sounds? We, use, we added, um, I added some other, like, um, I have other synthesizers and mm-hmm. so and I used not just sampled instruments but other you know just just synthesizers 
And, yeah. and I used a lot of the, excuse me, I'm, I'm looking away from the microphone, so you're not hearing my voice. Um, from Native Instruments, I used a yep. lot of those synths. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some other just miscellaneous here and there. Really cool, great synths. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, I think Logic has some wonderful sounds built in, particularly with this this latest update. The Logic Pro 10 has some great stuff in there. The, the pianos, yeah, there are better ones out there, but still, for sitting down with a with a package that costs two hundred bucks, there's some pretty great stuff. Oh, there. there's some amazing stuff. There's just, I I would re- I really was having the time of my life recording this music. I, I just was like, I just couldn't believe it because. You know, what I do is I don't record music for, for a living. Um, I really don't do it very often. And so I'll record something. I recorded the mist music, and, and then I recorded the rhythm music. And, and then there was a long break, and then I recorded, like, an album. Um, and then I was shocked how, how much the technology had increased then. And then I took a long break, and I've done this. And it's like the leap in technology it's it's just has blown me away and it's all there's no external boxes there's nothing it's just all in the mac and um and it's just endless endless tracks endless effects everything and it it's really blown me away has uh, that inspired you to go out and make another album or are you just sort of tired now and would rather not (laughs) i would love to um i just um I don't know that I, you know, right now I'm just busy doing so many things and I would, I, oh, if I could have the time to just make an album, I would definitely do it. Um, but, you know, it's, it's purely a matter of, you know, the, the time, finding yeah. the time to do it. We'll break away one more time from Robin for this message about Sherry's Berries. As you may have heard, Valentine's Day is coming up soon. It's the 14th, fellas, just in case you forgot. And the thing is, some of us, he says, looking guiltily into the mirror, forget about it until the last second or forget about it altogether. And then you're either relegated to the couch for a week or you have to dash out at the last minute and pay a fortune for a bunch of flowers that look like they were run over by a tractor. Don't. Just don't. Particularly when you can have delivered a unique and tasty token of your affection in the form of Sherry's Berries. We're talking giant, freshly dipped strawberries, dipped in what? White milk and dark chocolate, and topped with chocolate chips, a decorative swizzle, or nuts. And best of all, as a Macworld podcast listener, you can get them for a song. Visit berries.com, that's B-E-R-R-I-E-S.com. Click on the microphone link near the top of the resulting page and enter Macworld, that's M-A-C-W-O-R-L-D, in the field that appears. This gets you your dipped strawberries for savings of over 40%, starting at just $19.99, or you can double the berries for just $10 more. Again, go to berries.com, B-E-R-R-I-E-S.com, click on the microphone, and type in Macworld. Order yours today. Your Valentine will love them, and if you're good, you will too. Let's get back to Robin Miller. Well, if you could have your way, what advances would you like Apple or another company to make that would help your creative work? Um, I would think that, you know, oh boy. I am currently frustrated with um, just, I, I feel like, and I don't know that this is 
this is just my own personal frustration and I mean it's probably not valid but I feel like I I would like 3D stuff to be somehow easier mm-hmm. um and I'm talking about a user interface um right. of that and and I think there's so many features on most of these 3D programs that they get just tacked on and tacked on and tacked on and and they they become very powerful extremely powerful and that's good but they're also extremely um, uh, complex and yeah. um, in, in, from a user interface point of view. Um, or, and I just wish someone would build something from the ground up with, you know, um, that I could learn to use in an extremely quickly. Um, that, that would be, and not just me, but, but like, you know, young people mm-hmm. who were, and, and a lot, and introduce them to that area of the, you know, because I I will probably have a lot easier time learning that stuff if I want to. Right now, I don't even have the time to you know jump into one of those programs. But um, and that's why I want it to be so easy to use. <laughs> right? Sure. <laughs> uh, because I would love to just play. You know, I would love to to just start playing around with uh, some of that three some of those three D tools. And I I don't have a week to learn yeah. to use them. Um, and so that's probably that's probably a thing that I would yeah. like. Um, sure. Yeah, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. There is one other thing, is that I still don't have. Uh, you know, I I really enjoyed. I'm gonna. I'll probably get mail about this. Oh, good. Um, is you know, HyperCard when HyperCard came along, it was a extremely. It was the tool that allowed us to to create these worlds it was the tool that allowed us to create mist and and the products we did before then and the reason it allowed us to do that is because it lets you in a little bit and on you know the first day you you started using it you could do you could be creative and you could do things and and it so it kind of like it hooked you immediately it allowed you to be creative and then the more you wanted to you know step into it it allowed you to step into it and you learn more about it and it got more and more powerful as you stepped as you you know took those further steps mm-hmm. um and for those who don't know hypercard was sort of this um maybe it was like the web before the web came along it was um uh, it was a, something like um a hypermedia or you know a, like a series of cards all connected together um, similar to the web, um, and a precursor to the web, um, and all of our earlier games were 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 built in it. But um, my point is that um, there should be a tool like that just to create uh, websites, and um, and I have searched and searched and searched, and um, there's not really anything um that's that's like that. And, um, you know, obviously there's standards that, that have to be built into something, um, you know, and, um, but still, you know, with as much as, as, as the, 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 with all of the people that are out there and as, as I know, as smart as many as with as smart as, as, as all the people that are out there, I, I'm sure something like that could be built. And, and I'm talking mainly for, this tool would be some for young people, mm-hmm. you know, HyperCard was used widely in schools and my own five-year-old son, when he, when he was five 
started using it, started building games for himself. Um, very, very uh, primitive style games, but you know, he's, he's working at Google today. And it was because of those, that feeling of power um, as if he was programming. Um, and it just kind of sucked him into that world as it did to me too. Um, and, um, and so that's something I feel that, you know, it, that should be, that should exist. Well, you're right. There isn't really a, because I think of HyperCard in a lot of ways as a story creation tool that built kind of like building a book, except uh, particularly in the case of the guy, the way you guys worked was where the story could branch off in a, in a variety of ways. And this is something that a common person could do is you, you'd create and you'd link your little pages and your worlds together. And, and before you knew it, you had an environment you could explore. And, and there doesn't seem to be anything like that out there. I, I think a lot of people have tried to do things like HyperCard and there is more complex versions, even slightly more complex versions of HyperCard, but it was an elegant, and I mean elegant in that the, um, the user interface was something that you could approach it at a very easy, simple level. And it was, um, I know there's, there's versions of HyperCard that exist today, but they're something that's a little bit more, they're at a different level. They're at a higher mm -hmm. level, you know, and, and, and they're, they're not for say my five-year-old son or anybody right. else's five-year-old son, you yeah. know, they still do the same thing. They'll still run, you know, and it, and, and I'm not necessarily talking about a new version of HyperCard. Um, I, they could be any sort of, like you say, story creation tools or even web creation tools, but something that runs at that level that can, for a young uh, person, just sort of demonstrate or just sort of hint at the power of the computer without yeah. scaring them away. Mm -hmm. And um, there's been a, a lot of things attempted, and I, I just am still discouraged by that whole area. Yeah. All right. Well, taking the long view, what creative and business lessons did you learn from your days with Cyan that has have helped you work today? Well, okay. Always be optimistic, uh, for one thing, um, no matter what happens, um, especially uh, failure. Um, I know, you know, we had... Uh, before Mist, I think people just think we, we hit upon Mist and boom, that was it. And then we just sort of took off and we didn't. We really had a number of products that were ho-hum. You know, that was something that I, I'm sure I learned from Cyan and I've learned it a lot since mm -hmm. is it's okay to fail. And that's not what it's about. It's not even about, you know, making a lot of money. Um, that's nice. That was a nice bonus from Mist, is because it has allowed me to continue to make other things. Um, but what it's a really, um, you know, those failures are just failures, and you got to go on. You got to keep moving and go forward to the next thing. You can't be too discouraged by those things, because while you're really doing it, is you're doing it to express something. Um, you're doing it because you have this passion. Um, for storytelling, you have this, you know, maybe you don't call it that. Maybe you call it art. Maybe you, you know, maybe you call it uh, visual. Maybe it's a visual passion. And, um, and you really feel like you have to 
get it accomplished. Um, so, you know, I've known some people who fail and, and they throw up their arms and they say, oh, you know, forget it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to try it anymore. So, um, I think that's a, an important, important, very, very important lesson that both Rand and I probably learned from our early days with Cyan mm-hmm. and we just kept at it. And, you know, and, and another thing is uh, just hard work, extremely hard work. And, you know, I know a lot of other people who are more talented than I am. I mean, just more talented artists, more talented musicians. But I don't really think that's what matters. What matters is you have some seed of an idea and then you just, you really just keep working at it and working at it and you turn it into something and that just like takes elbow grease and, um, in persistence. Yeah. There, I know there's people who just like, they've got it all, you know, they just like, they think of the idea, they come up with it, lay it down fast. It's there. You've got to be able to just spend weeks and months just, you know, working that thing out, just persist years and that's really where the um where you eventually find success in these sort of things yeah well they're the mozarts of the world and then they're the beethovens that's right (laughs) some people can hatch it out of their heads and others just are talented but they just work and work and work and work until they they polish it into something worthwhile that's right we're going to go back to games for a second and then i'm going to let you go um okay in the current environment, do you think it's still possible to tell stories through games? Oh, I have thought so much about that. I do, and I'm not really... I mean, I, I might make a lot of you know uh, enemies by saying this, but I think there's still so much opportunities uh, to tell stories through games um, that isn't being taken advantage of right now. I think we are in the infancy of this game medium. I, it's kind of not moving forward at the pace I would have expected, which is interesting to me. It's sort of slightly discouraging to me. I like games. I, I play them like I didn't when we did Myst, um, but I, I am sort of perplexed why people are not... They're, they're, they're touching on story and... Um, but they're, they're, they're just sort of, t- uh, people seem to be touching on it in the same old ways, um, for games in regards to games. And so, yes, the answer is, uh, yes, I do think that we could dive a lot further into story in regards to games. Let's say that you'd had the iPad when you were developing Myst and the idea that I, as a user could just stand up with it and turn with it and explore the world that way instead of tapping Seems like what such a wonderful story generating tool or a story experience tool, and nobody seems to be doing that, and um, and that strikes me as odd. Yeah, I mean, there's a to a certain extent. I think there's a, there's a physical exhaustion, you know, like, um, and I don't mean being, you know, it's not very exhausting to stand up and turn with the iPad, but. Um, people want to save energy, um, moving around with an iPad. I mean, people just want to sit there, Yeah, you know, when they're exploring a world like that, one of these, I, I think a lot of, a lot of creative things could be done with the iPad 
and I'm going to be honest, I just haven't thought about it very much. Um, when I think of another world, I'm typically, or a game world, I'm typically thinking about, well, what are the visuals going to be? And what is the story going to be? What is the game element going to be? Um, primarily, I, I think I, I think in terms of visuals and story. But I think there are some probably some very creative ways to use, you know, elements like um, uh, movement uh, in terms of um, in terms of game. I I'm probably I probably haven't thought about those things and I'm not making any games right now. Yeah. So I, I I'm probably, you know, maybe I would be thinking more. If I was making well, a game. you don't have to make games now, so you don't have to think about it. You have plenty to do. Uh, right. So finally, where can people go to see your film? And and I say they should. Um, well, right now, it, it, they can go to um, our website, AugustusGladstone.com. Um, and that they can easily uh, purchase the film directly from that. It's it's Currently, we're just having uh, sort of as an introduction to the release, uh, it's being sold exclusively uh, there. Um, and then we're going to be having a wider release on April 1st. And that they will people will be able to buy the film through um, their favorite VOD, iTunes, Amazon, a, a Google Play, etc. Anywhere. <laughs> okay, excellent. Well, thank you so much for being here. Oh. And uh, again, everyone... Grab a copy. Take a look at the movie because oh. it really is it really is a, a wonderful experience. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This was this was a, a lot of fun. Cool. Great. Thanks for being here. All right. And that wraps up this episode of the Mackerel Podcast, brought to you by Lynda.com and Sherry's Berries. In addition to our sponsors, I'd like to thank Robin Miller and of course you for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to drop us a line at podcast at mackerel.com. This is Chris Breen reminding you that you can find more Apple, macOS, iOS, and technology news, views, and information at Macworld.com. See you around.